millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to the Hossadathon, the podcast that gets to know the family of films from one of the world's greatest animation directors, Mamoru Hosoda. I'm Michael Leader. And I'm Steph Watts, and we've seen a lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and the most important thing is communication. So join us in our quest into the glorious world of Mamoru Hosoda. Jake, Steph, welcome back. We're in the depths of autumn going into winter here as we record. So time for some summer wars, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's very nice to be back in our lovely rhythm of just viewing and talking. And as I said last week, it's been it's been a long while since we've settled into a proper kind of filmography. And it's just so nice to get back into that with you guys. You know, there is something nice and cosy, almost uh, very fitting for this time of year. We're pulling on a nice fluffy jumper of a filmography and getting <laughs> nice and warmed by Mauro Hosoda and his lovely themes and collision between themes and high concept ideas. So we had The Girl Who Let Through Time last week, a slice of life coming of age teen drama that mixed in high concept time travel. And this week it's Summer Wars, where I think we're going to start taking flight in terms of the crazy concepts that he's throwing in. Steph, are you still along for the journey? I'm still here. I'm I'm ready to get into this one. Uh, weird one because I remembered liking it more than I liked it uh, re-watching it for the podcast. So I think it will be an interesting chat. But yeah, I guess we should start with some synopsis. Kenji is a shy 11th grade student when he's asked by the confident, older pupil Natsuki to take a summer job at her home. Upon arriving, he's shocked to learn that the job requires him to pose as Natsuki's fiancé. Their romance is interrupted, however, when Kenji receives a mysterious text message containing a mathematical problem. Being a maths whiz kid, Kenji can't resist solving it, but he soon realises disaster has struck. He has caused the seizure of a huge social networking site that is used by most of the world's businesses and services. It is now up to Kenji and his newly acquired family to put things right. Thank you, Steph. So just from that description, there's stuff that we can already link back to the girl who let through time. We've got this student 
having to deal with their personal problems, but also this high wire <laughs> sci-fi concept that's exploding the world around them. Michael, what's happening with Hosoda that takes him from Go Who Leapt Through Time to Summer Wars in those three years? What's going on? So when we left him, Hosoda had this like, word of mouth sleeper hit success with The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, did well at the box office, won awards, acclaim. So Madhouse, the production company, the animation studio, said that he could make another film and this time it would be a chance to do something original based on an original story unlike The Girl Who Leapt Through Time which is based on a novel, pre-existing text. So Hosta says that um, Satoko Okadera, who wrote the script for The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, said that she rarely got to write action in her films so he wanted his next film to have at least elements of action movies and action flavour but they didn't want to do a traditional action film in either the Hollywood or the sort of live-action Japanese cinema or the anime moulds. So they, um, they had to come commit it a different way. Here's a quote. We asked ourselves, if there was a non-Hollywood, non-anime Japanese character who could save the world, who would it be? That's when the idea of a family popped into my mind. Lad has clearly not been watching the Fast and Furious films. <laughs> <laughs> Fast and Furious ripped off him, I'm sure. <laughs> But the family aspect was informed um, twofold, one, in one sense by the fact that Satoko Okadera had recently had a child and that Hosoda himself had recently got married and he met his wife's family, which is like this large, close-knit you know, family, sort of like the one we see in Summer Wars compared to Hosta's own rather solitary upbringing. And he talks about the culture shock of meeting that family for the first time and he wanted to capture that in this project. And then... On top of all this, there's the matter of the online world that's you know to on, on top of this family drama. They're developing this in 2006, which is around apparently the time when Second Life was all the rage in Japan. And Hosta was very inspired by the idea of online worlds and how the online space democratizes certain things. And he thought about when you're playing a video game... Um, if you're fighting in a video game using avatars, then anyone could be a hero. Anyone could have that dexterity and acrobatics of, a, of an action hero. So he wanted to bring that in here, into here with the sense of family, sense of unlikely heroes, sense of the online world. There were two big themes they kept repeating throughout production, apparently. Why are relatives sometimes annoying? <laughs> and still we often realize that strong bonds exist between us when something significant happens so as previously mentioned Satoko Okadera is back as the writer here and I love this quote I'm very indebted to a special booklet that comes with the recent blu-ray releases of Summer Wars which has lots of interviews and behind the scenes stuff and this is a quote from her about working with Hosoda the average family saves the world. When you put it that way, it sounds absurd, but it's so like him to successfully develop the concept into a rich movie. During script meetings, he came up with one exceptional idea after another, and it was tough to keep up with him. So he really is this, like, this guy who starts with some very simple, maybe even one-line ideas, and then just piles ideas on top of that. Also returning... Um, for this film is the character designer Yoshiyuki Sadamoto, but here he's working alongside another character design team, Takashi Amina Okazaki, 
who worked on the characters inside the world of Oz, the social media world. And um, that style is quite distinctive. And Takashi Yokosaki's work might look familiar if you've seen Afro Samurai, which was a manga that, that they created and then became this massive international thing because Samuel L. Jackson became involved and obsessed with it and um, sort of exec produced the, the anime, I believe. Um, but this is something we might come back to in um, later episodes, and it starts here, I suppose, where Hosoda likes to mix up different creative teams when he's working on these stories with distinct planes of existence. So you have the reality and the online world. So you have production designer Anri Jojo, who's working specifically on the design world of Oz, animation director Tatsuzo Nishita, who's focusing on all the animation within that virtual world too, including specifically the fight sequences. And he says that he was very influenced by not only martial arts movies, but um, video games like Virtua Fighter. Very specific reference there when there are perhaps more famous fighting games out there, but that's what that's what he, uh, he referenced. And then on the flip side, you had Hiroyuki Ayama directing animation for the real world side of the film, and you had art director Yoji Toshige too who'd worked for years at Ghibli on the lights of Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke. So he was bringing some very Ghibli-esque backgrounds to the real-world section, these like rolling green hills and blue skies, to contrast the big, colourful, you know, cacophonous world of, uh, of, of, uh, of the online space. Um, Summer Wars was released in August 2009 with a you know, good deal of hype behind it off the back of The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. It took home a bunch of awards like the girl who left through time including animation of the year at japanese academy awards and the same prize again at the mainichi film awards as i mentioned um last episode so that's keeping this streak going that he is winning the big awards hosoda with his films but this one also travels around the world maybe in a way that girl who left through time didn't so it played at all sorts of festivals including lacano which in switzerland which kind of has a reputation as being perhaps more of an art movie festival for some um, but this is one of the first anime films, maybe even the first, I believe, to get this sort of rollout there. Plays in Sitges in Spain, the Berlinale in Germany, also comes to the UK and US, and it further cements this idea that this Hosoda guy is a filmmaker that works on an international stage and gets these international rollouts. So it just is one, the next jigsaw piece, or the next. Um, step in, in 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 the in the journey that he makes to becoming an internationally renowned filmmaker but of course the most important thing is how renowned is he <laughs> among the three of us so let's uh shif- shuffle over to the review section because i can't wait to hear jake what you make of this one Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, Michael. So Steph has already teed up a little bit, a little tease of what she was making of Summer Wars. And you said that you want to know what I'm thinking of this film. What do you think? I'm thinking about this film. <laughs> what we think when we're thinking about what you're thinking about Summer Wars. Um, <laughs> um, ooh, interesting. I think, hmm. So you're a guy that sometimes likes, like you like rules, right? I do like rules, when, yes. When I like processes. Certain, yeah. And, and I, I think that this is one where suddenly on... I, what The most interesting thing about this I want to hear about your thoughts on is the introduction of this online space. And you have... And you, but you also love families and particularly idiosyncratic families. Some of the relationships in here I can imagine you really vibing with. But then there's that connective tissue between what they're doing in the real world and the online world, which I think you might have some notes on. So I think this is... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm feeling this is maybe a little mixed but with some highlights within there i think that's that's good analysis um but i would say that you kind of maybe kind of swung a bit negative oh on it i would uh yes the the rules we'll get into but i gotta say i thought this was brilliant hey i i, I had such a great time with it and so I'm really excited to talk with Steph about it. And I'm really intrigued to watch it again to see whether kind of just uh, maybe the excitement of watching it the first time is what covers up the cracks of it. And once you go back to it, maybe they reveal themselves a bit more. Uh, but so much that I really enjoyed about it. Uh, as you said, it's this family drama thing. It's this kind of My Fair Lady-esque classical Hollywood rom-com for a bit. Uh, for a good midsection of it, it's an amazing Roland Emmerich film. Uh, I think it's got really good values. I think like the kind of utopian space that it imagines the internet could be is such a strong message. I think people that spend a lot of time on the internet, like we all do now, will kind of see themselves a lot in this. You get a lot of vindication through the events that's happening in the real world and how it ties itself to the internet world. I really, really liked it a lot. Um, so I'm yeah, excited to talk about it. Steph, take me down a peg or two, though. Uh, so <laughs> when I watch this for the second time, what am I going to be disappointed by? Well, I don't want to kind of start too negatively um, because I do think there's a lot of like really, really fun and kind of like really ambitious stuff in this. I think there's, he's clearly like building on girl who leapt through time being this kind of smaller thing that has sci-fi elements and this is like yeah there's just so much going on but like 
I mean, I guess to start at the start of the film, the thing I do really love is that like building of the internet space and this kind of, I guess, like idealized, like utopian vision of what the internet can be used for and that kind of social network space, like um, just the kind of, you know, you can game, you can see your friends, you can run all your businesses. Obviously that kind of comes back to bite them later when they realize that if that goes down, they can't do anything in life without like this one kind of big social network system. I think like this time period to be making this is so interesting because it's it's mm. before total social media domination and it's mm. in that era where the online personality thing is second life, it's RuneScape, it's Club Penguin, it's these things <laughs> where you are entering a world rather than trying to mirror reality in some way, which social networking mm. I suppose is trying to do. And mm. but there's so so that we departed from that way of using the internet in a lot of ways. But that idea of like like businesses and like governments existing online in that way is so true. Like think of what happens when like, a, a few months ago Gmail just died, <laughs> and we could, like we couldn't access it, and like suddenly we can't do work. But you imagine that on a grand scale. Of course, that has a knock-on effect to so many so many things mm. Mm. and this obviously takes it to extreme lengths <laughs> but <laughs> it's very very true it kind of reminds me of have you seen the like 80s film war games <laughs> i think it had like matthew broderick in it it's like a, a kind of more like advanced like internet capable version of that where it's like this guy accidentally starts nuclear war with russia by like playing a game with like a really smart computer it's like kind of giving me that vibe um but yeah with that added thing of you know you can access the internet from your nintendo ds or from your fridge or whatever like it's kind of <laughs> it's got that weird i guess that's where kind of the rules start to span out a little bit where you you kind of have yeah obviously you can access it from a computer but then there's people with like Hosseda's favourite, the flip phone, um, <laughs> kind of like doing all their stuff and like gaming with you, a couple of buttons and then doing something really complicated in the kind of world of Oz. Um, I guess it doesn't fully link up. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's, we may be getting ahead of ourselves there, but I think that is something with me where I'm, I'm starting to question the film just a little bit. And I think it, it goes back to one of his goals that I just mentioned in the context, which was he really did see this as democratisation of an action movie, not necessarily a sci-fi movie about a metaverse on an online world. So... Yeah, there's that bit where at the end they're on all their de various devices, mm -hmm. furiously typing or whatever it is, um, and on in the online world there is this fighting game happening. I, we will return to this as a tease. Bell, he does return to a lot of these themes, but of course a decade on, and with with all the changes that we've had in that time, and uh, it would be interesting to see what's different about that film compared to this one. But yeah, I bet I mean, like it's. He's predicting the Nintendo Switch, you know, play play with your friends, play it handheld, play it up on a big display. It's but it, it's it, it's very forward thinking, isn't it? I mean, it, it's it's easy to to forget just how prevalent the online world was in two thousand and six, two thousand nine, when they were developing this. But some key things that happened during the development of this: the iPhone was only released in two thousand and seven. So when they started dreaming up this film, the iPhone wasn't out; hence the flip phones. 
You're but there so is an many. iPhone in this. Yeah. There yeah. is an iPhone 3G. Oh, my God. So lovely to see. That's cutting edge when they're showing it in this film. But then also, yes, so much social media stuff you know it was only really in its early stages at this point so um really fascinating and it's interesting that he returns to this later on but we should probably break out the two aspects and mm. you do have this grounded real world thing jake as you said the family should we talk a little bit about that as well and how yeah. how we responded to those characters because that's something i watched this when it came out i remember seeing um there was a really fun um, old people would be able to re- to set me right on this manga in the uk manga entertainment did an outdoor big like outdoor screening of this and i think it was at canary wharf in the sort of sunken um like central square there i think i saw it there and it's just a really fun film and it's one that is really dazzling uh, in those moments but re-watching it now in that similar way when sometimes there are aspects of films that are you know louder in the memory than others big twists, big reveals, big moments. This is one where I mostly remembered the online world and the real world. So re-watching it reminded me of this almost Royal Tenenbaums, Wes Anderson, idiosyncratic <laughs> family stuff. Really, I really loved that. All the characters they draw, and there are dozens of them. Uh, that stuff I really responded to. But Jake and Steph, what did you make of that side of the film? I think it's it's so lovely. I, I like so I made a reference to that quote about communication um, right up the top, and that is ultimately to me what this film is all about. Whether that is in a virtual world or whether that is with your family, and I'm I'm glad that it gets away from that kind of rom-commy plot after about half an hour or so, and we just and like everything is revealed that he's not her boyfriend or he's not her fiance and. Uh, suddenly everyone has to band together quickly and you're kind of thrown in and forced to become a family all together again. And it just allows for so many lovely interactions. And because we're in Japan for this, a lot of that happens around the dinner table. And you see like whether that is something really, really dramatic, uh, which this film certainly can be, or whether it's really small gestures and emotions and people just kind of revealing themselves through the tiniest kind of movement uh, or whether it might be something a little bit creepy like going to smell the bathwater of uh, <laughs> an empty bathroom that someone's just come out of um, and but I suppose actions like that even if they are creepy you do get a sense of the character but I think when the um, when the film kind of enters its final third I suppose and um, the grandmother character who's amazing and like this is all kind of part of this amazing matriarchal family which is again something you're not going to typically see in an action film to be the the central figure of the uh, the whole thing in a way uh, but after her demise there is such beautiful framing of the family unit after a tragedy like that and the way that people talk and the way that they come together it's just given so much time and so much thought and it is given as much space as this end of the world apocalypse stuff right? and I think the film he's he is taking you on that journey to remind you that ultimately whatever events are going on in the outside world or in your virtual world or in your family world they are all of equal importance and you don't need to kind of say that one has less value than another just because it might be not quote-unquote real uh, and I, on that art side of things, uh, so it was yeah Yuji Takashigi, uh, mm-hmm. the art director. 
who was brought over from Ghibli, absolutely could totally see it, especially from the beginning where it's like, it's an escape to the country story. Uh, a, a classic Ghibli favourite. But the way that that brushes up against the internet side, I think is really cool because something that you just don't ever see in the real world at any point is a landscape that's just bright white like that in the virtual world so that clash between them makes the internet world feel so dramatic and so exciting and then in contrast it makes the natural world feel so much more real and so beautiful uh, yeah uh, on both sides very very good yeah i agree that kind of in look i think the two worlds like work really well together because there is that kind of that like contrast and the contradiction between them um and i think like again as we've gone through time like i really like the character designs i really like the yeah that kind of white void space in oz um and kind of like that weird use of like 3d animation for some of that like uh more kind of technology side stuff um i think story-wise i don't really agree that they're like given enough space i think just because there is so much going on like i don't think there's as much time to breathe i think all the characters are a lot more like broad and you don't really get those like little nuanced um moments just because there are like so many characters like that bit where she introduces him to like all of the family <laughs> and then later on there's like all the husbands as well that like haven't got there yet and it's like oh my god how many characters are there in this thing um so i do think there's like maybe like i feel like i lost a bit of like the emotion and like the love for it just because I I don't think there's really time to get to know anyone before there's that kind of the big final fight where everyone's like clicking on their screens and stuff but I do think it's like a really interesting um kind of experiment in that way just because yeah you do have like so many events so many characters as part of it and um yeah, I mean, maybe that's just the chaos of a big family. I don't know, because I well, have I, a I think, tiny family. Well, that, Michael, what you said about him arriving at his partner's family and the chaos of that, to mm. me, that that makes so much sense. Because yeah. I don't think it is this intimate portrait of people uh, that is fully sketched in at every edge of the frame for them. Um, it is this snapshot of family life. And if you come from a small family and you suddenly enter a large one that can feel like there are some nuclear weapons and traffic jams and satellites <laughs> being thrown at you because suddenly you've got to deal with all these people and it's so intense and sometimes you just need to kind of quietly shuffle off and game for a bit or something but i i, I totally got that emotion that he was trying to translate and yeah amazing that that's where it comes from i can just imagine him turning up on christmas day at a christmas party and just uh, turning white having to deal with all these people yeah I, I, he is kenji and he wants us to be in his shoes mm. as well and i think not to be all oh it was intentional that the characters weren't as well drawn as you wanted them to be but uh it, it, i think that is in part intentional that you can't when you're first introduced to all these characters um, get your head around them and it might may take an hour of the film for you to tell all of the the, the aunties and uncles apart <laughs> uh, you know, maybe, and then you'd start to define them just by their jobs and roles they have within the family like oh that's the one that's the you know the computer guy and the one that has the, the yacht that he's talking about and all that do we want to shout out any members of the family we loved 
Anyone that comes to mind? I loved the uncle that had all the really good vests. Oh, yeah. He had like a Yamaha vest. <laughs> he had like a really good yellow one at the start. Uh, he was great. Is he, um, is, my... is he is he the the old bloke that um in the end becomes almost like the sensei to his son who's the master the, the... yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I, I quite like that resolution that he had his yeah. moment at the end <laughs> i have there's um one one chap the the most handsome of all the uncles who arrives in the in the last act uh with a with a truck and he's like almost got his like flipping up his shades moment where he says it's classified and looks into <laughs> camera and he's and you almost expect like on Instagram when like all the heart emojis just start fluttering out of someone's <laughs> face. And what a babe. Yeah, interesting that the idea was a normal family saves the world when that guy turns up with like government <laughs> equipment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think oh. there's, there's there's clashes there in the inspiration because, yes, the normal family saved the world is clearly pitched at this cross-generational appeal in terms of the audience. But I think the inspiration comes from the idea of these big sprawling families who maybe have a long history and are you know, deeply in, in, you know, ingrained in an area as this family is. So it is more like, a, as I say, Royal Tenenbaums, a, a, you know, a family of... Um, you know, potential geniuses who maybe have fallen on hard times. But my favourite is the, um, I can't remember what generation she fits into, but the woman who's watching the baseball game all the way through. Oh, yeah. It's very sort of makes me think of family life where there's somebody's already, always trying to get into the other room to watch <laughs> watch some <laughs> form of sports. Although, of course, it's because one of the family members is playing in that game. Um, well, and so I, I, this is something that I really loved about, and this is what I mentioned about a really good Roland Emmerich film would be kind of balancing these tiny things and cross-cutting so well between them and giving you that same emotional hit from each of these different story beats and so we've got this family life and then what's giving you the then you've got this kind of global threat narrative but happening at the same time is the baseball game and the baseball game is exactly mirroring what's going on in the global narrative and then combined with all of that you've got going on what's going in in the virtual narrative as well and just going all but it just kind of keeps you going up like all the way through it just rising and rising and i said about rhythm in um the girl who leapt through time just how the way that like revisiting these moments over and over again and hiding stuff from you at specific moments to then make it pay off later and i think like this is so smartly edited which is not something we really think about with animation because it's so planned out in advance but of course, like the story editing, I think is so smart. Sorry, I'm just I'm just very happy that you're responding so strongly. <laughs> yeah, I, I but like that stuff, I think is great. But then there's the same frustrations that I have with the girl who leapt through time as well of just this telling and not showing for things that could be easily shown, like the fact that we're told Kenji is a maths whiz, and that's so central to the plot. Like that, like the plot can't happen if he's not a math genius. We're never shown that in the first kind of 20 minutes or so when he's at school and working his way out to the country. And then this maths problem that comes in that kicks off the whole apocalypse. We're just shown some numbers on screen and then we're not shown the scribbles that he's making. And then this inciting incident happens. But we have no connection to why that actually happened. And I think like that's something that's really annoying and stops you from actually making that connection to that character, the, to this event that they have caused, because we, we weren't involved in what that process actually was. And so we see it there. And then what's 
more frustrating perhaps is in the final act of the film where we've got this big battle which mm. is all based around this card game that I'll ask either of you two <laughs> any ideas how it's played no nope <laughs> and I, I like was the... wondering if it might be that like um you know because we're not from Japan we just don't understand what this game is but then you have a shot earlier of um Natsuki and the kind of the distant uncle playing the game and then Kenji is watching along like what's going on I can't even follow this game so I'm assuming it's supposed to be you know a game that not everybody knows but this one family is like really good at I'm not 100% sure but yeah, yeah I suppose like I mean that'd be the kind of thing where you arrive again it's it's, it's Christmas afternoon everyone's a bit tired after their lunch and someone says let's play articulate and you've only arrived there on the day and you've never played it before that kind of feeling but when it's mm. amplified to that grand scale of this mega boss final battle uh again you it just kind of leaves the audience at a remove which is a bit annoying and I, but i wonder whether it came from him like looking back at his digimon times because it's a very digimon type battle uh which i'm sure we'll get to well, well yeah this was a development on from one of the um, spin-off sort of shorts that he made for for, for you know for Digimon, which I which um, yeah probably you know, explains why there's that card game rule mm. aspect there. Um, it would be interesting. Maybe at the end of this series, we can go back and watch Digimon and see whether there's some extra clues there as to they're going to unlock these films. But it is, I suppose. That is another thing like with the girl who let through time where there are these aspects of the story where by that point you're meant to be so sold on the momentum of the story and the emotional through line that there will be some aspect of the high concept narrative that you're just meant to just vibe along with yeah. rather than fully understand. Um, mm. And that's why I, I, I do sometimes, I, I've said this in the context of both episodes, it, he just placed these high concepts on top of personal stories. Um, and darts between the two and as Jeg you've very eloquently said there what how the connections between them in Summer Wars are quite strong and you really can see the metaphor but there are just points where it is just like sci-fi sci-fi stuff is happening at this moment mm. and um, we're not going to really explain how they're going to beat the boss right now <laughs> yeah. we're not going to really explain why we need because it's, it's almost like proto NFT isn't it where they need more servers but surely the social media world is online so why do they need all these servers in the back room in order to beat the boss the fact that cooling a server down is a plot point for this is so good i can imagine like the reddit pc master race guys watching this and be like this is my life you know this film gets me but i think um the the film does such a great job at bringing real gravity to Mm. what like we would call internet problems because like because of that the way that the story is structured, like when you're getting those key problems inside Oz that are cut alongside Granny's death, like you you can't not be attached to it because you're having to feel that emotion from one side of the story and that transports it to the other. Unlike, say, a Ready Player One, where mm. you have absolutely no investment in the real world because it is so focused on, ah, we got this virtual playground, we can do whatever we want in there. And... I, I think by bringing, like, having that real emotional focus on both sides, you give that validation to so many audiences about what they do on the internet. Yeah, I, I, it's a, that's an interesting point to raise. And I do wonder, 
of course, the novel of Ready Player One is probably drawing from a very different world, but we do have these recent films in Western cinema that do have this online world, like Ready Player One or Space Jam 2, a film I, that is Free guy. haunting me, Free Guy as well. And it would be interesting to view those as almost post-Summer Wars films or post-Hossida films. Like, what are they doing differently or similarly? And you're right, you know, Space Jam 2 doesn't have a real-world component. It almost entirely um, exists within the serververse, I think they call it, the the, um, <laughs> the hard drives at the heart of What's Warner Brothers Don Studios. What's Don Cheadle's baddie called? That ha- He's called... It's a pun on it's a, it's, it's a pun on AI. Like Al Algae Rhythm. Al, Al, Al yeah, algorithm. It's algae rhythm. Yeah, that's wow. it. Wow. Um, so it's all it all exists within that IP universe, the metaverse. There, similarly to Ready Player One, Free Guy does try to have this online video game world and the offline world, but that doesn't really translate much to what how we play video games. It just comes across like a reality TV show, like the Truman Show did. Um, but Summer Wars, yeah, th- th- that's that's an interesting point of view on this film that shows that shows it in a better light for me. I think actually that's that's a good point, Jake. Well, and I think like there is, it's really promoting, as we said, like it it's promoting the idea of what the internet can be, and it made me think of like all the net neutrality stuff that was happening a few years ago about like the internet actually having to fight for itself and people having to like put a line in the sand about what they think the internet should be and make a vote on it and i think it it kind of makes you angry about what the internet has become and how corporate and governmental it all is <laughs> and i i love like what this proposes even if it doesn't really make sense because it says like so many people are online on oz but when you actually go into oz it looks like there's maybe like 400 people uh, yeah. and also like say similar thing with tales from Earthsea, where we kept getting told like how big this world is but all the events actually only keep happening to about the same 10 people but it's, it's funny there's one aspect of the release of this film that i came across when i was doing this research for this episode apparently they screened this at mit with oh. a q a and a discussion afterwards I'd love to know what they actually talked about because that's one of those things where they, just, you know, Hoster isn't necessarily, he's not an engineer, he's not, not a mathematician or you know anything related to the internet, but he's clearly a speculative filmmaker. And I'd love to know what they were talking about there. Oh man, I, I love just thinking of MIT uh, that after like decades and decades of generic American action films, just labeling like the Russians or the Chinese or the Japanese or the North Koreans as the villains that this film is just like, yep, the villains of the U S military, you know, (laughs) (laughs) they just are. And I'm, I'm absolutely happy to agree with it because generally in the real world, they are anyway. (laughs) Uh, But Michael, important thing that we haven't spoken about, and I don't know why it's taken this long. You are a enormous Beatles fan. Yes. Did you enjoy the fact that the guardians of the internet were two big whales called John and Yoko? <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> that's pretty cool, isn't it? Right. And this is something that's interesting: is that like there there are all these references that are dropped, like the the the, the social media world being called Oz, and. There's not, they're not expanded upon or really explained why <laughs> why these names are coming there. But yeah, amazing to have John and Yoko. After the disappointment this year of a film that's been released called Drive My Car that doesn't have a single, single Beatles reference in it. Great to watch Summer Wars, sit down and watch Summer Wars and... 
be surprised and delighted by a Beatles reference in there. <laughs> Steph, Jake and I were clearly like vibing on the the the, the film there a little the, bit. The whale of this film. <laughs> um, what did you make of how it all came together at the end? Did it resolve well for you? I think that obviously there's so much going on. You know, there's kind of this this big AI system um, that's trying to start nuclear war. That's also up against this kind of big family drama and crisis. Um, I think the 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 way that it's resolved, I don't think really ties up super well. I think because obviously Hossip is linking this kind of social media thing with this big family event. Their resolution kind of comes down to this like power of friendship, power of the online um, social media connection with everybody giving up their accounts. I don't really understand. After the card game kind of appeared, I was a little <laughs> bit lost. <laughs> but um, it, it kind of feels like um, what we get with very typical like big action movies where that final section is just kind of like brute force action to defeat whatever the problem is um and i think that setup of like ai and the internet is so intelligent in the first half and then that kind of descent into whatever that resolution is just doesn't feel as kind of thought out or I think like that's intelligent like, as the way that it's set up, especially um, as you're having to say whatever that resolution is. I think that's <laughs> it's very clear that there's an issue there. I, I, I think that's a perfectly sensible kind of point to ha have about this film. We, I think we touched on this in the girl we let through time, which is the, there's always, there's a point sometimes with these high concept stories where the third act, you know, the, the, where, where the rising action, the, the where, where really kind of develops this weight and gravitas and scale it's very hard to then pull that back to resolve around personal themes sometimes we talked about mm. ponyo where could have just been a really great hour-long movie about fish fish girl and little boy having an adventure does it need to have this end of the world tsunami aspect also but, or, but then to mention a film like your name which has huge complicated concepts around it as well that can suddenly resolve around a key single personal moment. And maybe this is a thread again. It feels like this is something with Hosoda where he's playing with personal and massive uh, high concepts. Can he resolve the two or fold one into the other in a way that's satisfying for the galaxy brain people like Jake? Uh, and then the people with you know, more, more normal brains. <laughs> hey! <laughs> <laughs> on it having a, a bad resolution there i think we should also highlight that as an actual ending like the very last bit of it is just horrendous like like i do think like i'm emotionally attached to these people and have really got invested in the story and then just to end it with the kid having a god-awful nosebleed and collapsing <laughs> to the floor and pulling a horrendous face <laughs> Uh, oh god it's so annoyed probably because i know that i would be the nosebleed kid as i always have been throughout my life jake um, have you ever have you come across the visual metaphor of the nosebleed in anime before uh i've, I've seen nosebleeds happen before yes no in, um, in life but yeah <laughs> no it, yeah we 
I've seen it before in some other stuff. I can't place exactly. I was just what. wondering whether that was the first time because, of course, it's no. like a it, it is a trope, a cliche of the yeah. nerdy boy kid who, in a moment of anxiety or usually some sort of horniness, uh, inappropriate horniness, has his nosebleed. I I, I did gather that. I just want I didn't want to. Uh... <laughs> after after the, seeing him smell the bathwater earlier, perhaps I didn't want to face the reality of. The, uh this character that I've become so invested in. <laughs> I like that he's put back in his place as a kind of, yeah, a nerd by the end, even yeah. though he's done some cool stuff on the internet. It's like, <laughs> you're still this kid. <laughs> yeah. Taking you back down after, like, you get a tweet that has, uh, like, 1K likes, and then uh, you just need to get taken down a bag or two. <laughs> Steph, before we wrap up, any final highlights that we've not discussed? Anything you must shout out? I think, I mean... Continuing with the food corner of this series, uh, I love the the bento box that he gets on the train. That looks amazing. Would love, would love to take a bento box on the train that looks that good. Um, I also just loved all of the squid that they end up barbecuing <laughs> later on. Um, but when the the kind of one of the relatives turns up with many boxes <laughs> of what all the, the small kids think is like really exciting food, and each one they open, they're just like. <laughs> It's all squid. Like, <laughs> they're going to have a lot of squid for dinner. Um, but yeah, I thought the food was really good. Ah, just wonderful. Let's make Food Corner a regular oh, thing yeah. in the future <laughs> episodes as well. Of course, one of the other regular segments of these miniseries is where we have to rank these films. Now we have two films to put into the Hoss order. Jake, what, you're sounding like that's really forced. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Let's see how Summer Wars ranks alongside the girl who leapt through time. So, two films on the Hoss order. How is this shaping up for you, Jake? I think it's probably quite obvious for me on this one. Summer Wars is taken the top spot it has leapt over the girl who leapt through time steph girl who leapt through time is leaping for me that's actually <laughs> quite far above summer wars for me at the moment but um yeah i mean maybe as we go on i'll have greater appreciation for it down the line uh, but at the moment that's steph, the top one. you just need to spend way too much time on reddit like me and then you'll really, <laughs> you're, you're really get, get into what summer wars is really about <laughs> I need to dig out my old DS and access odds through it. Does that, make, that makes me the deciding vote right now, as of right now. Oh man, they're 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 both on very level sort of very level pegging for me. But I think after our discussions, Summer Wars is edging ahead of The Girl mm. Who Leapt Through Time, and it has John and Yoko. So there yeah. we go. It's always going to take it. Our next episode, we will be talking about wolf children. But in the meantime, you can be keeping up with us on social media. How very apt for this episode. <laughs> We're on Twitter at Ghibliatech. We're on Instagram, ghibliatech.pod. And you can f send us emails with your thoughts about Hossadon and any of the other films we're talking about in this mini-series at ghibli at little.studios.com. You can follow us individually as well. Steph is on Twitter at underscore Steph Watts. Jake is there at Jake H. Cunningham. And Michael is there at Michael J. Leader.
Bibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Harold McShill and Steph Watts. Our music is by Anthony Ng and James Payne is our editor. Hi everyone, thanks for sticking through the credits. Now we talked a bit about the Beatles references in Summer Wars, uh, with the Wows being called John and Yoko, but there might be a bit more musical influence than that in the film. Screenwriter Satoki Okudera and the team actually went to a karaoke bar and looked through the song names to come up with the film's title, so have a look back through the film, there might be a few other sneaky nonster pop songs in there. <laughs>